Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and more. You can also catch me on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We do a simulcast every uh, Friday when the show airs. Lately, it's been a little erratic because they've had conferences, we've had conferences, uh, but generally speaking, at least every week, two weeks, we have something new up there. And then, of course, you can catch our archive of game reviews at PinalCentral.com, P-I-N-A-L-Central.com, keyword skewed, and that is a network of newspapers, and uh, it's something like 21 papers and 12 markets where we've had our content published. We also have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine, and so that is there. We've got a lot of other stuff. We were syndicated through Sci-Fi Radio and lots of other places, and like I said, it's all things entertainment, movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, and more. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael, and we've got a lot of uh, good stuff to talk to you about, a little bit of a preview ahead, but I wanted to... Uh, kick off the show a little bit with a couple of things to draw attention to. Warner Brothers Home Entertainment has been really cranking out stuff. I've uh, been playing a little bit of catch-up since we did some interviews for them at WonderCon, but I did want to mention that Justice League X, RWBY, Superhero and Huntsman Part 1 is available on home video. We have some interviews from WonderCon. If you want to go into the past, you have DC animated. All-Star Superman, and just the other day, this one I'm really, really excited to have a look at. Max Fleischer's Superman, 1941 through 1943, 17 theatrical uh, shorts. That includes an all-new featurette, Speeding Toward Tomorrow, as Warner Brothers is also celebrating their 100th anniversary. And this is really cool. If you ever like to take a look with the original, these are the very first Superman cartoons and they look fantastic, they sound great, and it's a great way to keep a legacy of the history of the character from the very beginnings to the new ones. We all know James Gunn is working on a new uh, interpretation of it, so we'll be looking forward to seeing that. Another thing that I wanted to mention was a very interesting game called Showgunners, and this is a really interesting variation because I remember... Back in the day, there were arcade games that you were basically put in an arena and you had to survive uh, multiple levels in order to, um, uh, you know, move forward, smash TV, things like that. And this is a variation on that where they take the turn-based strategy of games like XCOM and uh, elements of it you do move in uh, a third-person mode. And essentially, it is a futuristic game show. Think of The Running Man, things like that, where you essentially are put in an arena and you have to fight for survival. And it's done in a turn-based way. So we've got some video up there. It's called Showgunners. And this was actually really surprising. There's some, uh, you know, things like we thought we'd cleared a level and all of a sudden the announcer comes on and they drop these explosive barrels and a new wave of bad guys into the room, things like that. And it does appear to be episodic in that once you finish the level, that is finishing that episode, and the next one comes up. As I said, I've got that on our website. I've got some video up if you want to have a look at that. It is called Showgunners, and I definitely uh, really have enjoyed that. Now, the final thing I have before we get on to the topics for discussion is obviously we've got a lot of new 
games coming out. There's been some talk about these games. I had one recently took up about 130 gigs on the hard drives. I had another one uh, took up about 90-something. And so everyone's talking about, oh, we need new hard drives, and we need this, and we need that. And we've seen things like a nice Star Wars-themed uh, SSD drive that looked like the lightsabers. We've heard about new things from Samsung, so on and so forth. But people don't always think about upgrading the memory to make these new games run better for your PC. And the great thing about that is Kingston just released a brand new Fury DDR5 line. Uh, so just, you know, without getting overly technical, they are fantastic in that they have really good heat displacement about them. And here are some of the uh, general things. Uh, they have a greater starting speed. Uh, they have improved stability for those looking to overclock. They're uh, more efficient by doubling the banks and burst lanes. They are Intel XMP 3.0 certified. AMD Expo certified. Um, they talk about their motherboards. They also have a low-profile heat spreader uh, that helps cooling functionality, and it's plug-and-play. Now, one of the great things about this, too, is if you're into people who have a clear um, case, that this one has an RGB function that you can uh, put into it to you know, give your uh, system a new look, that sort of thing. And then, of course, you have the great performance of upgrading your memory. And you can get them in uh, uh, singles of 16 and 32, as well as kits of 2, 32, and 64. So uh, definitely something you want to check out. Kingston has always done a lot of good memory products, and we've always enjoyed uh, visiting them when you see them at shows like CES and so on and so forth. So... Uh, what I wanted to do now, guys, is let's talk about some stuff. In a couple of weeks, uh, two weeks from today, actually, we are going to have Joe from Phoenix Fan Fusion come on. He's going to talk about the upcoming show, which is only a few weeks away. There has been a huge, huge wave of guests. And, uh, Michael, why don't you start us off? Tell us about some of the new guests and what you're looking forward to. Wow, that's such a list. I think it's probably the best uh, fan fusion slash Comic-Con, uh, Phoenix Comic-Con, which is what it was named before, um, lineup that I've ever seen. I mean, everybody from, you know, the Arrowverse cast, um, Grant Gamel, uh, Stephen Amell, you know, and then we've had like another Battlestar Galactica potential reunion with the folks from uh, Battlestar Galactica, Katie Sackhoff, who is also now in The Mandalorian as well. Um, is going to be making an appearance. Ashley Eckstein, of course, um, as Ahsoka Katana and, and her, uh, uh, you know, animated uh, series. Um, just so many different people. Um, Jeremy Renner, who, um, as those know, he was in a very serious accident. They didn't think he was going to make it. Um, I actually saw him on Jimmy Kimmel, I believe, about a month ago or so, and he looked really good. I'm, you know, given all the fact that he broke so many bones and um, had a very scary, uh, you know, event for a while. Um, he looked really good, and the fact that he's able to, you know, get out and start touring these cons, <laughs> I think says a lot for him. So it is all, all just a really great, great lineup for him. Not a problem. Justin, your thoughts, please. No, I agree. I mean, I think the Battlestar Galactica um, reunion alone is uh, is going to be worth it enough. I mean, that 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 that'd be pretty cool to see all of them together again. Uh, obviously, you know, William Shatner will be there. Um, 
Christopher Ecclestein, Katie Sackhoff, uh, as mentioned before, um, and Jeremy Renner. So I think there's a lot of big names, so it's definitely going to be something to look forward to. Absolutely. And, you know, you also have, like, Anson Mount, Alan Richson, and so many more. And it'll be uh, interesting, too, because the timing of the show, um, you know, not to play a negative, but we do have to talk about what's going on in the world, is that... um, this is going to be coming up very close to um, when the contract for actors and directors could expire and see a labor situation. And as it was explained to me, um, they're not allowed to do any publicity for uh, current or upcoming shows. But I think in something like this, it's considered different than um, appearing at a trade show. Uh, where you're specifically promoting an individual product. This is kind of looking at past work and more likely appearing as themselves and that sort of thing. So I think it's kind of one of those things where they can appear, they can do their stuff, they can take questions per se, but they can't promote um, any like current or future projects. But, um, you know, what an impressive lineup that is. And one of the things that I am very, very excited over And the only bad thing is not that this is a bad thing, but um, with my panels and our booth, uh, I will not be able to get up and go to as many uh, panels. I remember I joked with you, Michael, about how up until I think 2019, I had never actually made a single panel there. And then I finally one year said, you know, instead of taking my break and going downstairs into the vendor hall, I went through the vendor hall on preview night and said, I'm going to go and uh, pop in, and I popped in on a panel. Well, one of the great things about it was Babylon 5 creator J. Michael Straczynski is um, scheduled to appear Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And he has done all kinds of stuff from uh, the original Thor movie, WWZ, The Changeling. He's been doing a lot of work on um, in the comic side, including The Amazing Spider-Man. He's written over 400 comics. And, of course, there is this series, Babylon 5, and uh, as well as Jeremiah and Sensei and that sort of thing. Well, what is so interesting about it is he has been talking on his social media about uh, a big Babylon 5 project. And no, it's not the rumored uh, reboot coming at CW, which is all you know up in the air with all the changes there, but still moving forward. But uh, it came out last week that a full-length uh, Babylon 5 animated movie is not only coming, it's pretty much done and in the can, as he said. Um, very excited over it. He talked about doing the commentary with Bruce Boxleitner and said that Bruce was absolutely blown away when he saw the final cut of the film. And there were moments that he was just so, he said like he'd seen snippets, but he'd never seen the final run of the film until they were doing the commentary. And he jokes about there are going to be moments that I have to basically carry it through uh, because Box Leitner is basically was just sitting there with his jaw on, but he was completely blown away by what he was seeing. So this week we're supposed to get more information, uh, title release, that sort of thing. I'm kind of hoping, you know, on, on one hand, there's a part of me that says, I hope it's coming sooner rather than later. And then there's another part of me saying if they want to put it out after San Diego Comic-Con, uh, that'd be fantastic, too, because that way they could be there. There'd be a chance to do some interviews and stuff with them. We always have a lot of great stuff with Warner Brother Animation. So, either way, very, very excited about that. 
Uh, so, uh, Justin or Michael, do either of you have any comments about Babylon 5 making the appearance in the animated world for the first time? So, I didn't get to watch the show. Um, I've been always been meaning to. I just never got to. So, I think uh, the animated series might be, or animated show, might be a good intro um, to people who didn't get a chance to see it. Or maybe, I don't know how well the show holds up today as far as visuals and as far as story. But I do think that, you know, gaining interest in the animated version might be enough to drive um, folks to check it out. And I, I know it is, or at least it was streaming, I think, on at least one or two platforms um, previously. So it's a good opportunity to, you know, give give folks who, you know, weren't alive during that time or new to it an opportunity to ex uh, explore that universe and then maybe drive some more interest in possible new series or at least getting some more interest in the previous series overall. Justin, your take? I'm pretty much in the same boat as uh, as as Michael. Uh, I didn't watch the original Babylon Five. Uh, always always sort of meant to, but uh, I know that was kind of around the same time that Farscape was out, and I was more of a Farscape person. So, um, uh, but it like Michael said, it might be a good jumping on point for uh, getting into the series. What I think is so interesting about it is that anybody who's followed it has known it's always had kind of a rocky situation in that it was run on the primetime network first run syndication. And I remember hearing stories uh, when it was on about like some cast members were saying, you know, where my parents live, it's only on at two in the morning on a Saturday or, you know, it was various times, various markets. And they had this weird thing like the, they would give you a, a block of shows and then it would end and then you would get a break in another one. But I remember like, for example, this is the weirdest thing in the world. They would come back with a bunch of episodes and then you'd get the season finale. And then the very next week, the new season would start. And I remember that threw me off more than one time because I remember sitting there watching the season finale going, oh, that's fantastic. And I was at work, and we were right across from a uh, TV electronic and appliance store. And you could, they had a big screen, they had a couple of big screen TVs in the uh, in the window. And I, you know, I looked over and I could see Babylon Five. I'm like, oh, what's this? Huh, what's Bruce Boxleitner doing there? And then, you know, someone called me up. This was before cell phones, and it's like, uh, hey, you won't believe it, but the new season started already. So. They had, uh, you know, some interesting stuff, and the people, I, I you know, jokingly, you, he could almost write a book on some of the stuff that he has gone through since Straczynski wrote the vast majority of the show, received multiple awards for it. It really has a great story to it. The big trick is they were doing it on such a minuscule budget. It was the first show to use, like, all CGI effects uh, at the time. And so, yeah, some of it kind of looks a bit old today, but the story is so well told that it is very engrossing. I mean, yes, you have to look over the fact that you could tell that some sets were basically done on a simplified form because the, con the focus was on telling the story. But the characters are so well written, they have a very large evolution to them that nobody is as they seem. The mythology of the show was constantly changing and evolving, so you, you know, it, it kept you paying attention. And that, again, was also part of the situation. People said... Well, you can't do a show like this because it's not episodic. It's one long five-year story. And regardless, they had to, you know, wrap it up as they thought they wouldn't get past the fourth season. Uh, he talks about how, like, one year they were literally canceled for a little bit, and then they were able to figure it out um, and then come back. 
Uh, they had cast members leave the show. And then the fifth season, they had to go over to TBS. Um, they wrapped it up. TBS gave them a bunch of movies. All were very well received. And then they started a show that I thought had the potential to be as good, if not better, uh, called Crusade. And then that was canceled before it even aired. They all kinds of politics. They showed the episodes out of order. They didn't air it until the networks, you know, pre-streaming had already committed their budget. Uh, so that went by the wayside. There was the famous Legend of the Rangers series that they tried. And the pilot episode was going to be on a Saturday night. And then, unfortunately, this football game between a young Tom Brady and the Raiders went into overtime. And so the first half hour ratings were very bad for it. The moment the game ended, the ratings were significantly higher than anybody had expected, but they only decided to look at the first half hour to judge its viability. That went by the wayside. Um, you know, there was the story of The Memory of Shadows, which was a movie that he was going to do. And then apparently the networks came in, uh, not the networks, excuse me, the suits came in and basically wanted them to recast classic roles. You've had a lot of actors, unfortunately, pass way too young from the series. And so it has been this thing, you know, recently they did uh, a set of tales, and it's ironic because that's going to kick into our next part. Um, it was done against the, the threat of a writer's strike, and it, sold, it was a straight-to-video release, sold significantly better than Warner Brothers ever imagined. And then they tried to go on the cheap for Volume 2 when the creator wanted a larger budget to do even more elaborate stories. It fell by the wayside, and the last we heard about it was, well, they've been released on HBO Max and some others. They've had a little bit of uh, graphically punching up. Uh, they were, have been very successful on that. We heard the rumors of a CW reboot, and then everything with the CW, the writer's strike. So now we get this, and I think this could be a great way to solve many problems. It's like, for example, off the top of my head, I would love to see them finish Babylon 5 Crusade. Now they could do it in an animated form because all they would have to do is go and get the original cast back to voice the characters. You wouldn't have to worry about, oh, why do they look 25 years older? What's their schedule? That sort of thing. So I'm hoping this is a big hit and we get to see more Babylon 5 uh, stuff down the road. It's just unfortunately, it's always seemed to be that they put something out, it's well received, and then it all goes into... Uh, limbo, but it, it does seem like the new administration at Warner Brothers does clearly seem to grasp what he's been telling them for ages, is that this is your Star Trek. This is your cornerstone science fiction franchise that if you take care of it, you can run generations with. So hopefully we will see. Now, switching gears, uh, we have to talk about some of the uh, more unpleasant stuff going on right now, and that would be ongoing writer's strike. Now, um, we've been getting reports of, uh, obviously, the first things to be impacted were the late-night TV shows, and now we're hearing stories that, as we get into another week of it, that various writing rooms have closed, including Abbott Elementary, Netflix's animated series Big Mouth, Showtime's Yellow Jackets, and Netflix's popular Cobra Kai. I've also... I've uh, done a bit of digging, and I'm told that everything from Evil to uh, the Community movie have been affected. Potentially SWAT was affected by this. This recently was canceled by CBS. And we've also heard that the Blade movie, after being delayed 
is not moving into production at this time, uh, simply because the script is not ready. And uh, I have some other things, but I'll, I'll save those for a bit later. So, Justin, why don't you start us off? What's your take on all of this? Yeah, like we talked about last time, uh, this is going to be a pretty big deal in terms of how, how much of an effect it, it will have, because the last time it happened, uh, you know, I remember when I was in high school, it, it uh, a lot of shows didn't recover um, from the writer's strike, and you can, you can tell which seasons of a show were the writer strike season, even if you go back and watch a lot of those shows at the, from the time, uh, this, this was the early 2000s. Um, so the longer it goes on, the, the bigger effect it's going, it's going to have. And, you know, in a, in a way, uh, I see that the result is inevitable because what they're, what they're asking for, I think most out, outsiders, um, think is, is a pretty reasonable request. So, uh, you know, the gist of it, it comes down to the way that the industry has changed. Um, the, the, uh, the contracts that they have regarding royalties, um, wasn't really written, um, in most cases to, uh, factor in streaming or at least streaming in a way that, that makes sense. So, uh, the way that it's portrayed by a lot of writers is that, they do get royalties, but they don't really get uh, royalties based on views, um, you know, based, uh, in street, of their of their work um, on streaming services. And this does does get into a kind of a difficult area because it can be hard for, uh, you know, to to gather statistics about you know how many how many views something gets. Of course, I think the the owners of the streaming services know all that. But whether the public knows about it, um, the, the, that's usually kept behind the scenes. So, uh, like I said, I do think that the end result of this is, is inevitable. I do think that a lot of these contracts will, will end up being rewritten just because um, public sentiment and also the pressure from the strike itself uh, will, will end up making a lot of these companies rewrite those, those con contracts. That's, that's what I see happening. It's just depend, it just depends on how long it's going to last. Okay. Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, and part of this with, particularly in this world where we're talking about streaming is there's just really so much, I don't want to say greater reach to a lot of people. I think even more so than when they had the smaller, um, shows that were featured on premium channels and pay channels and that sort of thing. I mean, streaming really has become the um, quintessential way of, of viewing media these days, even more so than over-the-air TV. And, and, and to the writers, um, their concerns, of course, they're not being compensated for that because at the time when these things were written, I don't think there was an, an expectation of, of what the future would look like. And I think that's part of the problem is, is as the industry has changed and how as um, streaming has become you know, more prevalent across the industry, um, and again, the, the, the pressure to release um, quality shows on a much quicker uh, turnaround process to a lot broader audience, I think there definitely is um, some compensation incentives that have not been taken into account based on all of those things. And yeah, I mean, when you talk about not knowing necessarily how popular a show is um, based on being able to review statistics or how how, mu how many views 
is they're getting them like the uh, traditional way they used to do with the the black boxes on the TVs and that sort of thing. But I, I do think there are mechanisms that are put in place from a lot of streaming services to garner to garner that information. I think that also goes into determining you know whether something gets a second season or gets pulled uh, outside of just the ratings or reviews and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I agree with Justin. I think uh, it's it's pretty much long overdue that that type of industry hasn't been a, really a factor in, in the pay. You know, a lot of these um, writers are saying they're basically you know working contract jobs now, where they might work on a, a show for three months and then they're literally out of work for nine months. You know, there's not a lot of stability there, uh, and yet the pressure is there to continue to deliver without the stability around without the pay that goes along with it. So I think at this point, um, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, they really do renegotiate those things and, and really get to a point that's more equitable for them. And again, we we are going to see, I think, a greater impact today than we, would have, than we did for the last one. Again, mainly because, you know, obviously the, the nighttime hosts and that sort of thing, they're always been impacted by this because there's, theirs is a lot more daily um, type of thing. But now with the amount of content that's being driven by the, the streaming services, particularly the push for new content, which drives new subscribers. I think that's going to be a lot more of an impact than it was previously. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, it's a messy situation. I uh, had someone try to explain this thing to me because uh, various studios have sent out letters to showrunners, and these are people who essentially watch over the shows. And they've said that even though you're members of the writers' union, we expect you to do your other work uh, while the strike is going on. So it's it's this very dicey area where they're sitting there saying, "Okay, you're not going to write, you're not going to oversee this, you're not going to do that, but you still have to essentially uh, work in in your other capacities in non-writing capacities." Well, the problem is apparently there is some gray areas in that where if there's a question about a line of a script or a question of dialogue or an actor uh, wants to improvise something and so on, they would have to be the ones to say, okay, yeah, let's go with this. But then technically speaking, that may be violating the, the what they're allowed to do and what not to do in the form of a writer. So it, it's kind of crazy. Like to give you an idea here, I was, I got this the other day and um they're trying to get the second season of House of the Dragon, House of Dragons completed. And at the time this was sent to me, which was a few days ago, they had 19 days of filming left. And the um, plan was that, okay, we may have an actor strike, we may have a director strike coming in um, June. So we need to get this thing in. Uh, before this happens, so at least we can be guaranteed to have the, um, excuse me, so, so we can be guaranteed to have the new season out there. Well, here's where it gets to be really, really crazy. And when I said House of the Dragons, I actually goofed up on that. It's uh, the Lords of the Rings, Rings of Power. Um, I was told House of Dragons isn't necessarily going to be affected, at least what they think of. Uh, but to give you an idea, this is a uh, variety uh, even confirmed this. They had 19 days left of filming remaining, but for strike rules, the executive producer, 
uh, who and any other writer producers cannot take part in any writing based duties. That means they cannot do any creative decisions on set. So what they've basically done is they've had to go to non-writing executive producers and directors to oversee the last few weeks of filming. And see, this is very interesting because there specifically says they cannot do any writing-based duties. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but that also includes creative decisions. And that's a very gray area, and that leads into what I had mentioned earlier about the studios are saying, we get that you can't write because you're on strike, but your other work has to be done. Well, creative decisions is kind of a very vague uh, you know, thing. Some say, well, you, know, you can still do casting, you can still uh, you know, do location stuff, that sort of thing. You just cannot have, do anything that has to do with writing, uh, dialogue, and so on and so forth. So you can see what a mess it is. You know, you have these people here that are on strike being told, yeah, yeah, we know you're on strike as a writer, but we also consider you to be this, this, and this, and you still have to do those, even though your work may start dancing very close to crossing over to uh, stuff you are not allowed to do. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be absolutely crazy. Well, guys, that is going to do it for us this week. We hope that you have a very uh, safe weekend. I just got the news that just came in seconds ago. Uh, weekend box office, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, $114 million U.S., and they have not updated the uh, totals for the world yet, but apparently $114 million debut for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So we'll see how that uh, stocks up. Until that time, take care. We'll talk to you later.